yeah, welcome to uh, part three of our nostalgic mm, soiree, should we call it, this week. A real celebration of, of the uh, of, of our favourite decade of heavy metal, you know, what we all sort of grew up with. And when we first started getting into the music, um, this week we're talking about the, the final part, the uh, probably the most, uh, I don't know, the most talked about part of the 90s, I guess, because of everything that happened, not just not just the music, but other bits and pieces that went around it. Um, and this week we have a special guest who's taken a couple of hours out of his busy life. Um, Adam Brennan, uh, contributor to Music Radar and Metal Hammer, has come on to offer a bit of defence to um, New Metal and, and a few other bits and pieces. Adam, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, just just happy to be here representing Fred Durst, you know. I'll always say, yeah. That is basically that you've, you've got... You've taken on the task. I mean, you're almost comparable at this point to the, the defense team that represented Adolf Eichmann during his like Holocaust <laughs> trial. I mean, it's just an absolutely fabulous oh, task. Wow, I can't wait. Hey, <laughs> and they were passionate, given that. That's uh, you know, and uh, I will try to be likewise. Well, I don't think that I, 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 I straight up, it's been how many minutes? I've already compared myself to Nazi, so that's good. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> Just going to roll out the uh, oh, wow, he was only following orders. <laughs> Brad Durst, it was only following orders. Wow, there's a tangent to start. That's good. But uh, no, I said last week it's got its place in history. So, whatever we think of it, we, <laughs> we have we have no option but to discuss it and discuss so it's the fucking rape of man king <laughs> just because something's historical doesn't make it good. For fuck's sake, if we're gonna get at it, let's get at it then. Come on, let's... Well, let's 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 have a fair debate. But I tell you what, before before we get into that, let's uh, we'll have a quick recap on last week because obviously last week we talked about the mid nineties and and we could see how alternative metal was getting. Um, and the you know there were the early shoots of 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 new metal that we will talk about later this evening. Um, obviously, Corn's debut, Deftones, bands like that. Machine had had an influence on this kind of thing as well, and so on and so forth. But mm-hmm. We also noticed that a lot of a lot of metal bands, as we knew them, were starting to kind of go downhill at this point. Um, whether that was because the climate was changing and what they thought was what their fans wanted wasn't necessarily accurate. Um, you know, Metallica. Obviously, we look at them. We will do in a minute. Um, but at the same time, there were there were starting to be there were starting to see we were starting to see offshoots of um, you know proper metal sort of coming back to life. Um, Bruce and Adrian Smith returned to Maiden in 1998, which I think is a pretty big deal considering where they went on from there. Um, but I think maybe considering we, we, we almost ended the episode last week talking about low, I think I want to start this week by talking about um, what were the, the, the worst four albums by the big four thrash bands. Right. So Reload, Cryptic Writings, Diabolus and Musica, and Volume 8, The Threat is Real. Well, you say that, actually. You say Cryptic Writings for Megadeth. Surely you should be saying Risk. Well, yeah. Risk came a little bit later. I'm going to go Cryptic Writings because that was the... Hang first, on, hang on, hang on. The first Risk time they... What? Risk was 98? 99. 99. 99. Yeah, no, Risk. I'm sorry. It, it just utter utter shite it is it um, is but you wouldn't have had risk without having cryptic writings first okay so cryptic we're gonna go writing. with cryptic writings because it that was where the decline kicked in yeah, yeah right cryptic writings although have 
has two saving graces. Trust, Trust. is not a bad song. No. It's got a good riff and almost honest. And the, the rest of it is a bit pants. Well, what about She-Wolf? Eh, She-Wolf yeah, okay. But Risk, I mean, if you're going to go away and write an album called Risk because Lars Ulrich tells you that you need to take more risks, I, I, I swear to God, Ulrich was trolling him. He's he's a genius, Lars Ulrich. I, 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 I stand by this, even though he's he's very infuriating as a Metallica fan, yeah. No, no, no. I'm not knocking Lars Ulrich. I'm knocking Mustaine for listening to him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all for that as well. <laughs> like, like you know, I, I swear to God, like, you know, it was probably Lars and James trolling the shit out of Mustaine. God, come on, take a risk. Write something really poppy. We did it. <laughs> yeah, look how that went. But all right, so all right, we'll, we'll come to Megadeth in a minute then. Let's start with Reload because, like I said, we almost finished with Load last week. Um, we finished our Load and now we Reloaded and uh, any other pun you can think of. Um, I remember, I remember a comment, Padre, I think it's when we were in college. I remember hearing the term load, reload, load of crap. Cause that's, that's kind of the, the way Metallica went. Load was bad enough. Are we in agreement that reload was worse? Yes. Re- re- reload is, is, uh, a, a crime against everything. It, it, I would put reload up there with my loathing of K-pop. Okay, I, I, I really like load and reload. <laughs> I'm just going to mute myself for this. For, um, yeah, I think the thing is, is I, I think this is going to come up quite a lot in conversation. Uh, just I think because I'm a couple of years younger than you guys, um, I just I just come at things, especially like in this period, with a, a different perspective. And just because because I kind of got in Metall- uh, into Metallica uh, around the S and M period, it was just loads of that stuff was on load and reload. Mm. And then I go, oh, this is really, really good. And then and, and I think at that point, and Justice for All kind of scared me a little bit because it was so anemic and and wild all over the place. Now, now, and Justice is my favorite Metallica album, but I got into them really through through the stuff they put out in the 90s, which I guess will come onto the black album later. But like that's and I, I I completely see why why people hate load and reload, but that's just that's kind of why I stand by them and I enjoy them, even though. I, I'll, you know, I would put them down the bottom of my favorite Metallic albums, but I still like them. If that makes any sense. You mentioned um, S and M, and I, I, yeah. I kind of backed that up to be honest with you, because it's just just refreshing in my memory the songs from Load and Reload that are on that. Um, so Fuel, Memory Remains, yeah, Here of the Day, Devil's Dance, eh, Bleeding Me, not so much until it sleeps. But there's a couple of those. Hero of the Day is one that worked really well. Yeah, yeah. With, with, with and I like that song anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think Fuel was another one. And anytime I hear Memory Remains without Marianne Faithful's warbling nonsense, it's a much better song. So, I live, it's fun. It's great with all the people, you know, everyone yeah. singing along to it. But I, I, t- I totally get with, uh, you know, I think as well, if like looking at it with my kind of hat on, Reload, I think if I'm going to defend Reload, I think it starts really well and it kind of tapers off a bit. It's a bit too long. Uh, I think Lazarica even like a few years later said he couldn't remember a lot of the songs by the end of it, which is which is fair enough, even though I do I do kind of dig some of them. But um that's anyway, that's my defensive load and reload. It's probably gonna be one of the easier defenses I make during this this episode, frankly. But uh, I'll let you guys rip into it now. I've quite I've quite for a long time said though, I could probably pick songs off a load and songs off a reload and make a half decent Metallica album out of it, like eight or nine tracks. Absolutely. I would consider, you know, solid. Well, I, I did that a while ago. So I've got a Spotify playlist of like the best tracks. I called it the Motherload. There you go. 
Heidi. The gift that keeps think, on giving. There's a there's I was reading an article today, um, called uh, it was actually looking at um it, so there's a okay so there's a website um called uh, www.invisibleoranges.com and it's a collection of um, articles about metal. These are actually scholarly articles. And this this one piece, there was a section of it where they made a comparison between Maiden and Metallica. Now, it wasn't a case of comparing them in terms of quality. It was com comparing them in terms of almost like ethos and attitude. And it's basically the point it made. And I kind of never thought about it this before, and I quite agree with it. And it kind of puts load and reload into a different light. If you look at um, Maiden are a lot more conservative yeah. artistically whereas this article is saying that Metallica were a lot more uh, they're like they were prone to like artistic adventurism like they would take much bigger risks yeah. load and reload were massive risks Blackout, the Black Album was a risk because it follows yeah. Justice Raw it paid off load and reload and then even look at St Anger that was a massive risk and it backfired I think it backfired worse than load and reload yes yeah. I agree um, and, and then, but they, they're willing to take risks. Yeah. And there are sections of songs on Load and Reload that I think are okay. I don't mind King Lothing, for example. Um, I, but then having that Marion Faithful on a, on a, on a, on a song is, is a bit risque. But then again, they went and did the, um, the collaboration with, I can't remember his name. Lou Reed. Lou, Lou Reed. I mean, who saw that coming? Yeah. Again, I think it's, that's it's probably their biggest. You know, talking about risk, that's probably their both their biggest risk and their ultimate like because I'll I'll defend pretty much every studio Metallica album, but I can't I can't get behind Lulu. I've never even listened to it properly. No. <laughs> um, right. like, what what I'm saying is it's like they, they Maiden and Metallica yeah. are two of the main pillars which hold up the metal church. One's yeah. conservative, the other one's adventurous. Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it, and mm. it's not a criticism criticism of either. There's a consistency with Maiden. Even their worst albums have got a consistency to them in terms of the the kind of the the the, the pantheon of their music. It's the same. It's the same with Metallica. Fate of Black was a risk. Yeah. You know, Master of Puppets was a risk in terms of the amount of time a band that young spent making that album. It's the you know, and it, and it's it's just that. And maybe a lot of that influence comes from Lars Ulrich that they're willing to take. And it's, it's Lars Ulrich's vision and James Hetfield's kind of fuck you mentality. Yeah. That, and that combination leads to, ah, oh, let's do load. Let's just see how it goes. But then again, you, you're not going to be able to make that album unless you've sold 16 million units on the previous album. Cause no yeah. record company. Yeah, that's it's going to be like, yeah, go and take a year to write an album. Yeah. That's, that's a fair point to be honest with you. And maybe that, that sort of sense of adventure that the Metallica have always had over the years, because you're right, everything they've released, there's been an element of risk to it. Even Justice for All, another one, you know, complete departure from Master of Puppets, obviously post Cliff's death and the, you know, we all know about the production and everything like that. It has all been a risk, but maybe, I don't know, maybe it's kept them fresh. Maybe if they just carried on doing the same thing, they wouldn't still be filling stadiums. I don't know. No, no, no I think, no, you're right. No, do you remember Rob was saying the other week, about like bands like Megadeth and Pantera made bad decisions and Metallica have made some, but, but consistently they make good decisions. They make good yeah. business decisions. And again, yeah. that's Ulrich. Ulrich's got the business head on his shoulders. He knows how to make money. And that, 
and a band's got to make money. It's a business. It's a it's a corporation. I mean, now yeah. now look at them. That, that band, Maidens, as well. That they're they're, they're like um, a PLC. Yeah. Yeah, they're not a band anymore. They're 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 they're, they're, they're their own industry. They have a head office. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, well, look. I think um, Adam sort of make a valid point again about music and when you get into it because it's a uh, your perception is different. So. True. You know, I think it's and it's going to be relevant to a conversation later or any conversation about music is that, um, you know, what is good, what is bad. If, if you, you get into something and, and you enjoy it, then by your your standards, it's good, even if musically it might not be. And you're always going to look at it positively. Um, so the question of what what it is on an um, execution basis is is almost irrelevant. Um but like I said, I think Road and Load and Reload do have uh, good stuff on them. Um, but for people who've been into Metallica for a while, of course, it, it's just a massive shock, isn't it? Yeah. So my, my, my vivid memory is uh, coming back on the train from London in like I think it was November 1997. It was the A-level politics and law trip, and um, the, the, um, one of the people on the trip bought Reload, and they were sat on the other side of the table on the train coming back and one of them had one headphone in and Rob had the other headphone in and Rob is old school Metallica and this guy is like new school Metallica and just the, the juxtaposition between the two fans listening to the same album for the first <laughs> time and like it was just like absolute disgust and almost elation here. Now just to let you know Adam this 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 guy that liked load, Reload and Load um, it a few days before this had been to I said to me, um, what's your uh, favorite Metallica song? And I was like, one. And he went, which one? Nine <laughs> out on that story all the time. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> it's quality though. I mean, come on. It's just like it's just yeah. like it's just like R R Rob just shaking his head. Just like, <laughs> no, no, just no, like like that. All right, so. Let's 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 put Metallica aside because we 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 talk about Metallica almost every week. One week we're going to have to have a Metallica free zone, I think. We, you know, <laughs> can, while we can we, we replace them with Dream Theater, no, we can't <laughs> replace them with Dream Theater. Yeah. Uh, by the way, there is um there is a rule on this podcast that you must never mention that band that he okay. just. Said. I'm going to take that out of the shared document then. <laughs> Did I put that in the bottom? No, I didn't. Oh, fair enough. All right, I won't discuss it. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, under uh, under penalty of death, um, okay. you must not mention that band. Okay. Um, so, all right. So, cryptic Ryan's, and all right. Let's let's talk about risk as well then, because they're both they're both within this period, and they both have their um their place in this. Cryptic Ryan's, you could say, was the like I said earlier on, it was the first um the first sort of signs that Megadeth were really on a on a downturn, and then risk just confirmed that. So, what what do we think was going through? Dave Mustaine's head when he went from euthanasia to cryptic writings to risk. I don't know. I mean, honestly, like, um, he got, I think he got a new producer and he was like, okay, I'm going to, this guy sold a lot of records. So I'm going to listen to this guy and I can't remember what his name was. But then again, it's like, how, how do you follow? How do you, like, look at these, the, the previous three albums. They've all got something to offer. Rust in peace, come down to extinction. Um, euthanasia. How do you feel like you, you're gonna? You, you can't keep churning out stuff of the same quality. Very few bands can. Was it, any other bands? Was, was, it, was he in, was he inspired by 
a Metallica because obviously we know you know he's always been chasing Metallica and the musical climate at the time was he trying to do something that probably yeah yeah that, that sort of worked with the current market I, I I'll be honest I've never actually listened to Risk all the way through I've only ever kind I of picked I've tried. I've tried. I've tried. it's just awful I can't I can't do it there's there's a bad Megadeth album there's a bad metal album and there's just bad albums you know the same in the same kind of place I put St Anger just just yeah just, just bad so what about Diabolus and Musica then is anybody a fan of that album um I, I think Stain of Mind is okay and and but again it's like that this I can't really remember that many tracks of that album because it's just so nondescript. It's, it's not. It's not. It's not that it's a bad album. It's just there's nothing that suggests itself on that album. I mean, these these were bands that were in. They they were all in flux. Yeah, yeah, they and, were. And it took them a while to get back on track. Got a really strong opener. I think Bitter Peace is really good. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, Bit of Peace was the first song I heard off that album. I think it was on a, on a free Kerrang CD or something yeah. like that. And it's um it's almost got a bit of a hardcore feel to it. It was just sort of very straightforward and it's it's, it's the build-up as well. It's, it's it just, you know, yeah. I, I think that, that works really well. And yeah, Padre, staying in mind, that was half decent. But I, I honestly cannot remember. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember the rest of the album. If you're wondering why we're laughing, <laughs> um, Fred Durst has just appeared behind Padre's shoulder. So not the real Fred Durst, obviously, but yeah. yeah. And if you don't, if you're not careful, he's going to let you leave with a fat lip. <laughs> I, I think what what um, what Padre was saying about uh, about Metallica and and Maiden with uh, Metallica, the ones who take the risks, and Maiden are a lot more conservative and. You know, Maiden sound like Maiden, Metallica don't always sound like Metallica. With with Diabolus and Music, it seemed like the beat Slayer in in a similar vein, I think, to Metallica. Even even though they're probably not as conservative as Maiden, they Slayer always sound like Slayer. Yeah. Um, apart from I think on Diabolus is when they they took their sort of shift in another direction, and it's 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 probably easier to say it's not their most heralded album. Um, as a big rugby fan, I really want Scrum to be a good song. I don't know whether it was actually about rugby. I know Kerry King it likes was. rugby. Oh, there we yeah. are. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's not. It's it's a very forgettable song. So, uh, yeah, that's that's all I got to say about Diabolist Music, to be honest. Uh, well, I suppose, without, I suppose, but without Diabolist Music, you wouldn't have um, and God Hates Us All, which is my, I think, my favourite Slayer album. No, I, I, it's it's up there for me. Yeah. It's, it's one of my favourite metal albums of the century. Brilliant, yeah. I'm glad to hear that. It's good. I, to be fair, I, I, I do like it actually. It's, it's, a, it's a really angry, pissed off album, and so angry. It was almost so like angry. the perfect thing to come after Diabolus and Music. It's like, yeah, yeah. It's almost like they're angry at themselves for fucking it up. I, I don't know, <laughs> but... it's, and it's, it's horrible when you think that album came out on 9 11. Yeah, it did, of course, yeah, because um, Tattoo with the Planet, the tour was was cancelled, wasn't it? Slayer Pantera, yeah, yeah. yeah. Jesus, that's um, that makes me feel old. <laughs> but um, but even the fact with Dabbles and Musica, they changed their logo for that one album, and everything just none of it, none of it, kind of none of it sort of sat right. But yeah, they they redeemed themselves. I mean, were they already pushing that way with um, Divine um... with Undisputed Attitude? The yeah, 
Yeah, no, no, the, what, the, Divine no, the Intervention. Divine Intervention yeah. was the studio album before that, yeah. Yeah, 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 Divine Intervention, because that was a bit more... Yeah, but again, that, that, had, that was, it was still Slayer, wasn't it? It still sounded like Slayer. Knox, you know, didn't have the strongest songs on it, but it was, it was okay. And yeah, then it just went to, went to shit a little bit, I suppose. Um, so last but not least then, Volume 8, The Threat Is Real. I wasn't into Anthrax at the time, to be honest with you. I didn't get into Anthrax probably till three or four years after this, really, properly anyway. Um, opinions on that? I've, I've not really listened to it that much. Yeah, I mean, it's never, it's never really grabbed grabbed me. I think the one before it stomped 442 as well. Um, I think losing Dan Spitz was a big one for me. I think, obviously, volume... Oh, sorry, no. Um, uh, Sound of White Noise. Sound of White Noise. That was their first sort of alternative album, wasn't it? And that was great. Yeah. You know, they, they proved they could do something a bit different. But, yeah, Dan left afterwards, and I think they were, I don't know, just a bit uncertain for a couple of albums and it took until the next one to gel with um well, Caggiano is yeah Caggiano yeah 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 but again it's you know what do we do where do we go like I saw some I saw an article uh spin put out the other day something was like the top 10 or 12 like worst metal albums ever and it's it's rubbish awful album uh oh no awful 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 article and they put um we've come for you all by anthrax is like it's in the top five and I'm like I like not that only, one. Not only do I think it's a really, really good album. Yeah. Like, if you're going to put an Anthrax album in there, like, put one of the preceding two in there. You know? Yeah. yeah. Just they're just comp- like, and I really, really like Anthrax. I'm going to see him in a couple of weeks now in Bristol. And I, but they, I, I I'm like you uh, when you were talking about um, uh, Risk. I just, I don't think I've got all the way through either of them. Like, I can't remember. I couldn't tell you a single song off either of them. No, me neither. I just I don't think they're like as offensive as some people find load and reload or risk or anything like that. They're just completely forgettable. Do we think that that all four of those bands have they found form after losing their way a little bit? We sort of God hates us all is, is good. We come for you all is, is decent. Obviously St. Anger, but I think after St. Anger, Metallica, the last couple of albums, Hardwired and um Death Magnetic, I I really like. I think they're both strong albums. Yeah. But Megadeth are the one for me that have just kind of it almost feels like they're just kind of plodding along a little bit now. They don't really seem like they're going anywhere. Well, again, it's just the lineup, isn't it? They've just not had a consistent yeah. lineup, and they... yeah, that, that must be a contributing factor. Yeah. They've had they've had the moments. I thought Endgame is is one of the best of the best of the top, the big four's twenty first century albums. That's that's um, yeah. That's held in quite high regard, I think, isn't it? In terms yeah. of late material. I quite like United Abominations as well. Uh, a lot of the songs on that, but yeah, there's been. I mean, as with, I think all the bands had that like, if you want to call it a dip in the in the late '90s. But um, I think the only one who's done it, apart from perhaps Lulu, uh, the the Metallica one, I think the only like truly dreadful one of the big four to do uh, in terms of albums is is Super Collider. I would say, yeah, uh, yeah. by Megadeth. But they've had they almost had that second dip. You know, um, again, follow. I think pretty much following on from Endgame actually, which is really, really strong. So, um, uh, has the new one come out yet? Yeah, a couple of weeks ago, and it's it, it's at times it sounds like Megadeth, and at times Mustaine sounds quite hungry. But there's, there's just there's just nothing. There's there's no hooks. There's no there's right. no songs like the the solos lack a bit of melody, and I don't know. It just feels a bit. Nothing I mean, a bit uninspiring. Just like, you know, I think 
just going back to what Adam said earlier about the 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 article that he, he said wasn't very good. I mean, for example, Adam, would you give um the the machine the, the new Machine Head album? Would you say that's a ten out of ten album? No, I I really like it. I'm I'm uh and uh haven't seen him in Cardiff a few weeks ago. I just it kind of made me remember how much I really really like Machine Head. But um uh yeah, it's uh I think. You get, coming from a, a you know the music music writer background, I think it was the same before we came on out. You got it. You know you. I don't know if you've ever found this guys like reading certain writers kind of stuff. Sometimes you got to go. Oh, well, that person's definitely going to give that a good review. Yeah. Or that person's you know regardless of of what the material is like, if it's that band, they're going to get a good review. So um, I really like the Moon Machine Heads. Um, I really really like it actually. Uh, really grew on me. Um, I don't know, ten out of ten, but. Yeah, I think if you're a Machine Head fan, you'll you'll probably enjoy it. They're, yeah, they they do what they do, don't they? But yeah, how about yourself, Padre? What are you thinking? Uh, yeah. I've I haven't um really heard it, but like I've I'm on. I mean, that's the problem with having a podcast. So I'm now on record for in perpetuity, slagging <laughs> that. I'm like, I'm sorry, I just don't like that band. If I can I just can't get on board with it. Like, um, I mean, I I was, you know, years ago listening to Burn My Eyes. Well, yeah, this is pretty decent, and then. Um, I remember not not really paying much attention to them. I mean, I've seen them at festivals a few times. Oh yeah, they're you know fair enough, fair enough live. And then I, I mean, I actually gave Bert the Burning Red a go, and I was just, oh for God's sake, it was just like you know, I, I get it. You know, you're trying to have a bit of catharsis here, but you know, does every album have to be like a like a public therapy session for you? You know, and I, and like, I just like, I think. I think, like from from what I've heard of the last album, and when we've we've talked about it at length, it just seems to be it, it's it's almost like the the Judas Priest album about Nostradamus. It's just like it's gratuitous. It's just like concept albums are almost like it's 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 like it's like a um, a reformed drug dealer and pimp becoming a born again Christian. It's like <laughs> it's like the last chance salute. Let's make a concept album to get our careers back on track. I'm sorry, I'm not having it. It's just no. <laughs> thank you for your honesty. Appreciate if, that. If we're talking about Machina, though, going back to this, the era where yeah. you know we're talking about tonight, more things change came out in '97, which yeah. was actually the first Machina album I heard. So I, I, I remember buying it. Um, that was a that was a brutally heavy album. Like it was so much more full on than than Burn My Eyes. And then after that, they went they went straight down a new metal path. See, this is the thing, though, the way I look at, like, um, Machine Head, I, I'm not a fan, but they, they, and I wouldn't, like, think less of anyone for liking them, because that would just be elitist anyway. But, um, yeah, the, it's the, the, the same way that I, I view Radiohead. I don't like Radiohead, but I don't think they're a shit band. I don't think Machine Head are, are bad musicians. I just, it's just not for me. Um, but I, I, I did think those first two albums were, were pretty decent. Yeah. Um. Just, I just don't like the way the dire- the direction they went in. Um. It's quite quite a few bands we're probably going to talk about tonight that it's you, you kind of personally know can't stand them. I'm not a Corn fan, for example, but I don't. I have nothing against Corn. You know, they're, they've they, they've they've certainly made a, a substantive contribution that that you know you need to acknowledge. Yeah. And acid machine head. If the, if there's if there's two things that you notice about the late 90s is you had a lot of bands with the new metal movement 
um, a lot of bands releasing their debut albums and becoming the next sort of big thing. And then you add a lot of established bands taking a different direction, like we just talked about with the big four. Um, and there's, you know, a few others and yeah. the growth of the other, other scenes and that and, and bands starting to come to the fore. Like we talked about Sweden, God knows how many times on this, this episode, this was the prime sort of period for bands like In Flames and Soil Work and, yeah. you know, Arch Enemy came to like in the late 90s and early 2000s as well. But it was obviously new metal that that started to become the the, the commercial it had the mass commercial appeal um and it was it was aimed at a completely different market i think to what to what we what we know as as heavy metal through the 70s and the 80s and the early 90s all of a sudden new metal was seemed like it was aimed at a completely different demographic than it was the metal was before so i i you know i don't even know where to kind of kind of take that I, you know, obviously where Korn started it and, you know, bands like Deftones came out of that. 97, you had the first kind of, the, the sort of early releases, Cold Chamber self-titled, Incubus is Science, which I'm a big fan of, by the way. Um, 98, you've got System of a Down, Soulfly, Korn, Follow the Leader came out. Um, but it's, 1999 was the, the big year for, for new metal i'll put slipknot in there either we know slipknot aren't a new metal band but at the time they were very much put into that into that pigeonhole but machine head burning red incubus make yourself corn release issues limb biscuit significant other pod fundamental elements of south down debut seven dust released home stains dysfunction you know 1999 was the big year for new metal it all kind of hit the it hit the heights what about Hoobastank? Hoobastank was a little bit later, wasn't it? Like yeah, 2001. Start, I'd say 2001, yeah. This is the second okay. time I've had a conversation about Hoobastank this week. What was it? <laughs> right, okay. I, I, firstly, I, I, I want to just like, I want to make a parallel. So the, the, the kind of, okay, I agree with you about 99 being the peak. So let's just go back to what you were saying earlier about the, the Swedish bands, In Flames, etc. especially In Flames. So I think it was what? 95, 96, 97, In Flames put out like three albums, one per Jester, year. Jester Ace was 96, Horacle was 97, and Colony was 98. No, right. 99, sorry, Colony was, and 2000 was... Okay, yeah. so that's three very good albums mm -hmm. in the space of three or four years. Now, for me, that period of New Metal, firstly, I think New Metal was obviously, yes, it was massive, it was commercially uh, profitable for the record companies and for the bands, um, but it was it was to new metal was to Swedish and European melodic death metal the way glam metal was to thrash in the eighties. Okay, so the minute thrash, the minute glam started, people just got bored with it. You're looking at about eighty eight to ninety, and that's when you get Rust in Peace, Seasons in the Abyss, the Black Album, and you've got Justice for All. Okay, and the, all of all the while those glam metal bands and hair metal bands were touring and selling a lot of albums. Those thrash bands were quietly chipping away, building a fan base, getting credibility and being seen as being the authentic real deal. And that's why they are, that's, that's where the longevity comes in because they've got a, an actual, a proper fan base. Like, this is why we keep talking about them. 
because we're loyal fans and we're loyal yeah, yeah, yeah. because they are authentic. They're the real deal. And yes, they have dips and they come out with shit. But we're always going to listen to them. And I'm probably going to, it's probably the same with those In Flames fans as well. While those new metal bands who were, a lot of them were flashes in the pan, they haven't had the longevity. I think, you know, even, even if you don't like what they're doing now, In Flames are still putting out albums yeah. and they're still well respected. And those Swedish bands were just poised, ready, wait, waiting for that little opening to just get in. And once they got some exposure, they popped in the early 2000s. That's and that's the parallel. I think it's the same thing. I don't think this is my main problem with new metal. I don't consider it to be authentic. I don't buy it. So do you think it was literally, uh, you know, the bands coming out, they were just like, we want to make this music because we just want to be massive as opposed to being good? Not all of them. No, no, not all of them. I mean, I wouldn't put Chord into that category no. at all. Um, I wouldn't. I think I, I know I know people who saw Limp Biscuit very early on and were like, they're a good live band. But the part I think Limp Biscuit are, are their own thing because it, it was just Dirt Seago. It just got out of hand. And he, he basically, and they just ran, they, they really didn't have anything to say after the, the, the second album. Um, but then you had, it was all the periphery bands like Static X, Stained, Mudvayne, all of that. It was just, I'm sorry, utter, utter shite. It was not, they had nothing to say. It was very, it was misogynistic. It was, facile it was uh the, the the instrument the musicianship was crap even if they even if the, even if they could actually play their instruments they weren't because they were being they were being slotted into a very generic mold yeah. and that's why they're not even even if there's still fans of those bands out there where are they now what are they doing they're playing to small clubs maybe they're playing small venues they're not packing out stadiums they're not on arena tours and none of the other bands that have outlasted them are taking them out on tour either so, like, I mean, I'm sorry. The fuck was Cold Chamber? I saw them at Ozfest 98. <laughs> they, they're shit. I mean, like, what's this? Fuck off. One word. That's the lyric. One word. And then you've got the other song, Set the Roof on Fire. All right, whatever. Why can't we set you on fire? Now, actually, no, what we'll do first is we'll burn your equipment, right? And then we'll, we'll get your face and hold it near the flames. Go, look at that. And then, and then we'll burn them. Because I oh, just... Who who let them at the Ozfest? Why were they even allowed on it? Who gave them permission? Who gave them permission? Yeah, Sharon Osborne. Actually, yes, there there you go. Sharon Osborne is to new metal what the Go Gothenburg press to the Reformation was. <laughs> I, think, I think it's time you got off the fence. I completely get like, um, isn't it that the case with a lot of like these sort of scenes, I mean, you, you can go back to, um, I mean, you, you made a very good, I mean, glam and new, like glam, hair metal and new metal are just so, the sound the similarities, uh, you know, the, the, it's rise, it's like commercially, pretty much glam and new metal are, you know, in terms of a scene, that's as big as metal has ever got. And they just, it, they had a, it was usually based on a couple of bands and then there was a lot of, it, it came and went very, very quickly and there was a lot of, uh, awful, awful bands that came along with it, um, and I completely agree with that. Even as, as a guy who grew up with li loving new metal, still go back and listen to loads of it now. 
you go back to listen to a lot of it and go, this is like, even as someone who really enjoys a lot of the bands you mentioned, a lot of the bands you also mentioned, like Cold Chamber being one of them, uh, just this is it's terrible. But I think that's just, that's, and I totally get what you mean then with the, with the authentic stuff, because it's, it's bands who are just kind of like, this is doing well. Let's get a bit of that. And then it's just, beca- and it's, and they're gone and forgotten. And it, it's, it's not just, um, uh, you know, kind of, because I also grew up listening um, after new metal. Obviously, you had the kind of second wave of metal course or the new wave of Brit- American heavy metal, as you want to call yeah, it. Yeah. And there was, you know, again, it's that kind of went it went up and 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 went away. And there were some brilliant bands for that, but there are a lot of hangers on. Um, I'm probably not old enough to to comment on thrash and grunge really in the same in the same respect in terms of. Um, you know, I mean, but I assume there were there were there were thrash bands who came along who were just not quite up to it. Same with Grunge. Oh, oh like yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, thrash especially. There's there's an awful lot of second and third rate thrash bands. There yeah. are pro- a lot of them are probably still peddling it away now, but there were there was some really bad, there was some bad stuff. There really there was. I mean, it was it was just like, and and those were the bands that all they could do was play fast. Yeah, but there was no melody, and yeah. and. Speaking of melody, I mean that's that's one of the things that I've been reading about in terms of relation to new metal. It's like new metal relies a lot on syncopation in in its playing and its production, whereas it, it lacks melody. And I think that's what a lot of it's what turned me off about it a lot because, like, you know, I'm, I'm I've got a uh, a weakness for a good guitar solo. You know, it doesn't have to be flash, but something and. A lot of people were like, where are the solos in new metal? Not that you should have them in every song, but um, but then again, yeah, I don't think... turntable solos, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, 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 it's fair enough. But I think I think okay, so look at if you look at 80s metal, there was a very yeah. Um if you look at 80s metal, there was like a kind of there was an arms race because you had Randy Rhodes, Eddie Van Halen, and then you had you know the, the thrash bands in you know, it hammer. And all that lot, and Mustaine and, and Marty Friedman, and it was like who can play the most complex solo, who can play the fastest, and like you know, all of those guys got caught up in that. Um, uh, you know, Nuno, Nuno Bethencourt from uh, Extreme as well, and a lot of really good guitar players. But I think in in that in that what how that transpired in new metal was maybe it was who could write the most kind of introspective or depressive lyrics, or who could have like the most outlandish hairstyle or the makeup or the I mean, I mean, this is just my opinion, so please correct me if you disagree, but there's always a competitiveness in any scene. Yeah. Um, and I think, unfortunately, like I know, like I remember, I remember speaking to Corn fans at uni and they were, they used to get really irate about Limp Bizkit because they said, Jonathan Davis has got that characteristic thing he does with his elbows when he sings, he does that. Yeah. And like at, at some point, Fred Durst started copying him. And, you know, it's just like uh, there was a lot of like um, mimicry, I think. And Corn, and, and rightly so, were the progenitors of a lot of it and could feel rightly aggrieved that people were ripping them off, basically. Yeah. Well, again, it was just, uh, yeah, I totally agree. So many bands just ripping off the same things. But then, like you said, trying to find their own gimmick amongst that. And then, you know, that's when you got your, you know, your static X hair and your, um, you know, perhaps, perhaps. I mean, Mudvayne. Who I, I, I do really love the first three Mudvayne albums, but um, you know, with their their kind of get up and stuff like that. So, uh, totally, totally get where you're coming from on that and understand. Yeah, 
I, I think for me, the parallels with glam metal are justified from a basically from the sort of heavy metal family tree timeline, because I think we've been talking about this and how heavy metal um, expanded over the years and, and whatnot, especially in Sam, Sam Dunn's um, documentaries. It became thrash, thrash death, speed, black power, all that and whatnot. Um, glam metal sat separately and I think this was mentioned in a conference um, that Padre mentioned a couple of weeks ago um, glam metal was was happening so, on the side to uh, the new wave of British heavy metal because that was basically a fusion of glam rock punk rock and a big Van Halen influence but it wasn't you know the new wave of British heavy metal was massively you know came from original heavy metal glam metal didn't it was its own sort of composite thing yeah. And I think new metal was in some ways because new metal originally, I mean, the term new metal didn't really didn't did get coined properly till 99. Um, that came that came sort of later on because there was no there was no I can remember reading Kerrang in 97, 98 and it didn't have a term. There were all these bands, these heavy bands. You couldn't call them heavy metal because they weren't heavy metal or thrash or anything. So they, they just got called metal because there wasn't a term. But this. It, it came from funk metal, basically, didn't it? LAPD, who, who were Korn's original band, they were a funk metal band from 1989. They were doing the Chili Peppers and Faith No More thing. Then they basically absorbed the grunge angst, magnified that. And that's how Korn started um, and probably sort of, you know, got their, got their start by taking a certain element of a grunge fan base. But it wasn't derived from heavy metal. Funk metal was, again, was a composite of hard rock and punk and a bit of this and that. And then yeah, you got the grunge influence. you got the, uh, the hardcore stuff that, that Helmet and uh, Sick of It All are doing and whatnot. And they're, they're borrowing those kind of riffs. So it's, it's yeah, yeah, it's not pure, pure metal in some ways. It's a composite thing. And of course, it's going to, it's going to happen and develop a different, differently. And that's why you had so many bands who were, quite different in the end by 99 they weren't all doing the rap thing or the funk thing they were doing the sort of 80s pop or skate hardcore or, or whatever and it, it was quite diverse but it was yeah it wasn't metal and, and pure in the same way and i think that's why there was a lot of um stylistic um need and this i mean obviously that's where you get all the different stylistic stuff but i guess is that from an outside looking looking in i think that's probably why People like yourselves who were just who were just big into into metal by the time this rolled around were probably very very anti it because it didn't like you said like Padre was in just it, it, that, that authenticity uh, for one of a better word wasn't wasn't there because it wasn't as you said it was it was metal there were metal bits but it wasn't it wasn't exclusively your metal like you know your Panteras or Sepulturas even or or Metallicas etc like that it was this it was this this thing that evolved and that's where you know because it had all these different influences that's why i think it was in so many ways very very innovative but i get that that is also the same reason why it pissed so many people off who were bitten to metal at the time so adam let me put this to you you know you come on here as, as a as a self-confessed fan of a lot of these bands yeah this is great what is it that appealed to you about this type of metal in the first place do you know what it was it was just it was just the the age like I weirdly got into from hearing like Paranoid by Black Sabbath, hearing that riff on a Tommy Vance 
um, sort of dad rock CD advert and seeing kids around school in older kids in Iron Maiden and Metallica and Pantera t-shirts, uh, seeing Cemetery Gates video on an old thing uh, and getting into Metallica. And then, and then all these things, I didn't, like, I didn't know what the difference was. I just was just like, oh, it's all sort of heavy guitar music. And that's what I really, really dug. I didn't, I, I, I didn't know enough people or read enough things to know that there was like, oh no, you shouldn't like this. If you like this, it was just, it was just, I was at that age where you, you just absorb things and just really, really like it. So, um, that, and 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 I, people of of my age who really like metal now, you know, I'm, um, I'm like all sorts of different kinds. It, it was it was kind of exactly the same experience for them. You wouldn't get people now who were, you know, in their sort of late thirties to mid early thirties who who were really 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 into metal. Most the vast majority of them got into it through through new metal because it just was there at the time. Like probably you guys get into grunge. I'm. I'm too. I think I'm too young for grunge. I've never really, apart from a few albums, I've never really gone back to it. It's because I was there at the time, you know, and that's why I kind of like. I get why you know people got into like the the, the metalcore thing that came after it, and I get why people got into the what someone dubbed last week the post MySpace emo type things at the time because they were pretty, they were just at that age, and you just you know and. Um, unless you have a lot of people, you know, uh, gatekeepers kind of saying, this is what you should like, and this is what you shouldn't like. It's just, if you get into something and you kind of just absorb it and, you know, it probably, it probably does mean that I like, you know, I can justify it. And I'm like, I can argue articulately, uh, is that word about, um, about why I like it, but ultimately it's probably just because it's that visceral memory of hearing it for the first time and all these new exciting things. So that's, and I think that's why most people do dig it and will defend it to the hilt. But that's that's kind of where I come from too uh, yeah. as well. Um, 96 is when I got into metal properly yeah. sort of later on. And it was for Iron Maiden who I'd liked from the charts beforehand. But after Maiden and getting into Metallica and Megadeth were friends, um, I started reading Kerrang. And I, I checked out Korn purely because of how they were being spoken about. And I loved it. And without going into the whole cliche thing, it, they did connect with me at that point in time. Yes, they did. You know, so so yeah, I, I jumped onto them. But then came Sepultura, then came Marilyn Manson. And 97, I was pretty much trying to listen to as much as I can. I was I was a sponge that year. Yeah. You know, if it was if it was in Kerrang or Metal Hammer, I just I listened to it. I mean, my favorite band for about two years were Three Colors Red. So, you know, that's how, <laughs> you know, I was a bit all over the place. But I liked Cold Chamber for five minutes. That was my first proper indoor gig. Um, right. And I also saw Human Waste Project that night. Them I still love. Right. And I like, you know, I like the start as well. You know, they're, they're, I've never stopped listening to those bands. Um, Limbisca, I, I like briefly. Love Slipknot, and I still listen to them now. A lot of the other bands, no, I couldn't get into. But it's, it's yeah, there's, there's, there's artists from the sort of new metal stuff that I still love now. Yeah. Um, and I still think they're strong albums. Uh, Snot as well. Snot were brilliant. Um, that's a huge what if for me. Um, because, yeah, sort of over time, you sort of get to think, yeah, not quite into them so a lot of the bands yeah don't listen to but early corn i can still appreciate i still love the deftones uh and whatnot because yeah you, but but it's it's a case of at the time it was all heavy and it was all good and it was all appealing to me so yeah it was also everywhere as well <laughs> wasn't it? Point. it's almost like i think i think that was the that was the um that was the thing for me because obviously 
what, 1999, 2000, 2001, MTV2 starts. And you couldn't get away from that fucking Papa Roach song. (laughs) And I think, for me, the, the, the reason why I was so turned off by new metal and, and still am today is it, it was, it, it's the same reason I don't like Manchester United. It's not that I don't like the football they play. I just can't stand the fans. Um, and a lot of the fans I met at university were fly by night, fad chasing. You know, they, they're not, it, it, you know, it's like, it's like Steve Hugh said when he was on our, our episode and other people have said it too. You know, if someone says to you, yeah, I used to be into metal. No, no, you weren't, you know? And I think new metal attracted a lot of people like that. It was a fad and it was especially prevalent, I think, at universities with white middle-class males um, because it was like, it was, it was edgy, but it was also commercial. So... And I just remember talking to them about metal. And then there's that initial kind of interest when you speak to them and you say, oh, they, and they go, I'm into metal. And you go, oh, really? And you start talking to them. And then you just realise they've got absolutely no knowledge of what they're talking about. You know, you try, and, you try and kind of create some kind of affinity with them by talking about the stuff that you like and they've never heard it. And a lot of people I spoke to weren't even interested in hearing it either. So I, I was just like, whatever, I'm just not, not, not going to, you know, involve myself with these kind of people. And unfortunately, those kind of people were everywhere. And I remember joining like the metal society at university in the first year. And after the first three meetings, I just stopped going because it was just like, I didn't consider them to be metal fans. Metal fans goes back to this idea of authenticity. I didn't consider them to be authentic fans. Yeah. We, and that's stained my perception of it. We talked about we we go on about authenticity quite a lot, I and mean, that was something that was that was quite prominent. We we're talking about grunge, wasn't it? That that coming out of cock rock and, and hair metal, which didn't seem authentic, but grunge did have a level of authenticity. Then new metal comes along, and it and it's gone backwards again. But at the same time, heavy metal had taken a, a commercial dip. It just wasn't popular. On a, yeah. on a global scale, but new metal comes along, and all of a sudden, it just explodes again. See, I'm I'm going to say I, I I would say new metal before it was new metal was authentic. Um, you listen to those first, certainly the first couple of Corn albums. They come from a place of genuine vulnerability. I think they're honest, they're deep, they're quite pained. Like I say, they've got that grunge grunge sort of angst thing going on as well um and i think you had certainly a lot of a lot of people listening to it and connecting with it properly um i think that was a case of deftones mm-hmm. um i think there's an argument there for maybe the first limp biscuit album possibly um there's no argument with cold chamber it was just weird um but yes you know snot as well i would agree um but at some point it did change. And I think maybe the aesthetic, the, you know, the clothes, the fashion and whatnot, you know, rap, which had been sort of getting bigger and bigger throughout the nineties and attracting all sorts of people. So that at some point it turned. And I think maybe Limbiscuit were the factor here where it became unauthentic and became stylistic. And you ended up in this sort of jock rock sort of, um, sort of field. But I, I, I do think it was genuine to begin with. 
Adam, do you think there are people who are new metal fans out there who are just kind of like at the time who were there at the beginning or its inception and by the end of it were just like, God, how bad has this got? Oh, or, like, yeah. or, or just like God, like you know, who are these people that are listening to like my my favorite bands? Like they're more. It's like I'm, I'm, I got into this kind of stuff to get away from these people, and then now they found it. You know, that's one of the biggest arguments I would say against the metal. I completely get. It. I completely get your experience as well, Padre. Right? And just that I know loads of people who love metal who got into it through new metal, but I know plenty of people who like they're like, oh yeah, I loved, I loved. Led Biscuit then, but I, that's the only heavy band they listen to. Similarly, though, I know people who the only heavy band they listen to is Metallica. Hence, why whenever Metallica do a huge tour, there's millions. Of, like, why, why are you not at the Anal Nathrak gig? You know, <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. That's a fair point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, the, I get, but um, uh, as well, yeah, there must. Have, I mean, I, yeah, I know people who certainly like really enjoy Corn and Deftones. Um, but by the time, yeah, you Biscuits and certainly Linkin Park came along, they're completely just like, this is not the music I signed up for, you know, because it had, you know, like that first Corn album compared to, say, the first Linkin Park album, it's like night and day in terms of, yeah, they're both new metal, but they're so different in yeah. terms of what they're, um, you know, like what what uh, what App was going on about with with Corn compared to sort of, you know, probably what Linkin Park were aiming for and did achieve on the album and just in terms of just... just is it, would you it agree... Would you agree with the idea that, so I think a lot of the new metal bands, like Corn and Limp Bizkit, and um, if you want to class Machine Head as new metal or Dead the Deftones, they their their earlier albums were their their strongest, and it, it just got decreasingly worse in terms of quality, whereas. If you again parallel that with, say, Thrash, mm. Thrash started quite strong, and it took about ten years for a lot of those bands to really peak. So Megadeth didn't peak until Rust in Peace, like creatively. Metallica, arguably, was eighty six, eighty eight. Those two albums, Master of Puppets, Justice for All, but a lot of those bands were peaking and had their biggest album sales around about ten years in from their inception, whereas. Corn and those bands maybe didn't sell that many records at the start, but in terms of musical quality, they kind of peaked early. Am I talking crap? Yeah, I think so. I think it's you'd have to look at a band by band basis. Um, I think it's, uh, uh, but that definitely sounds like you know the case. I think um, I could make a good argument for the first definitely the first four Corn albums. Um, Deftones are a weird one because they sort of after their first two albums, which you could I reckon could put in the new metal camp. I think they just shifted completely by the time of White Pony. Yeah, uh, which is their third album, but then they also suffered a dip, probably four, five albums in. Um, Limp Bizkit probably, you know, this, I mean, the, the, I mean, a load of people, the more metal fans I know, prefer Limp Bizkit's first album, um, because it's just it's just heavier before it got to the, you know, the kind of the 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 gravitas, the I don't want to say gravitas, the just I mean the all encompassing sort of like silliness really of the second and third albums which i do do generally quite enjoy uh incubus just say it just say it. chocolate yeah. starfish in the hot dog flavored water who who calls an album that well i think it's just that's the thing it kind of um it it just got very it's got very silly didn't it but i think that's that was a big that was a big appeal of it you know it, it kind of brought in that you know party band that yeah party band, right and Talking about, I mean, we'll probably get onto it when we discuss Woodstock later, but yeah, like the biscuit were just they were just a party band. That's why a load of people got into it who weren't necessarily metal fans and they definitely have not stayed metal fans. But you know, it, there was it was kind of something 
And it, it was, they, like you said, they were everywhere for better or for worse at that point, just because it was just so uh, omnipresent, really. But uh, I totally get your point. I mean, yeah, Incubus definitely off that first album. A lot of people love that first album. They like anything else Incubus did. Um, uh, but kind of the thing is, I think with New Metal as well, you're talking about such a small collection of bands right at the start that if you were going to go in and defend new metal artistically, you'd look at them. And then after that, it's when, even though there's a lot of those second, third wave bands I do like, and I do like a few songs and albums and stuff like that, you know, it's, it's, if you kind of look, yeah, trying to defend them from a, from a metal point of view, it'd be, you'd be looking at those bands, but it's, um, whereas thrash and definitely it seems to sort of rise gradually in terms of quality and um, uh, commercial sales and stuff like that. New metal just kind of had this sort of, you know, really really steep uh trajectory and dropped off really really quickly and also in terms of quality and commercial sales i think so i think it's quite amusing that we're now a lot of people are now looking back at, at new metal with a certain level of nostalgia you know some of these bands that had disappeared or split up have now reformed again and they're doing the festival circuits and everything like that and you've got people of of our age and a little bit younger, sort of maybe mid thirties that, that were around then. And they're now sort of, they're kind of reliving that again now. Absolutely. And I, I don't know. It's everything has a cycle and everything seems to come yeah. back. I mean, like, like I say, I mean, if you think about 15 years ago when your glam metal bands were doing all the sort of those, they'd had a few years out and they were starting doing all the big tours again and getting good things. And they were good. And I said, I said, it's all Motley Crue in 07 and they were fantastic. Um, Everything just comes in cycles because that's just the nature of everything. But if you think about it, in some ways, new metal never really, really went away um, because those those MySpace metalcore bands you had in the late noughties, um, you're asking Alexandria's and and whatnot. They they were the people who were into new metal as kids. Yeah, they were they were making that sort of music and that sort of metalcore plus emo plus emotion new metal whinging whatever that's that's what you got and that's kind of stuck around since then and uh, yeah a lot of those bands have managed to evolve but it's kind of it's kind of been there in, in, in a new new yeah. way plus so, the thing is what just calling in deftones and and pretty much disturbed as well because remember they came out of that as well they've always been third fourth headliners maybe sometimes second headliners on festival bills pretty yeah. much since 2003 so it's i completely agree it's always had that kind of that like, at that staying power it definitely has has been there and it doesn't even though it's not as you know Woodstock 99 levels of of kind of commercial um you know success and and uh like that cultural significance it, it's it's always been there for you know in in the in the metal kind of rock scenes they've kind of i suppose they've kind of ticked over haven't they but there, there is there's a certain sort of group of bands i think i saw it referred to on youtube as butt rock um <laughs> These, these sort of these new metal bands who went radio friendly at the end or were, were going that way anyway. So your bands like Kid Rock. Um, are we, are we not talking about Kid Rock yet? Not, yeah, I was going to say, we're not going to bring up uh, Kid Rock, are we? No, not, no. Uh, but but Breaking <laughs> Benjamin, Shine Down, um, possibly even Papa Roach as well, Puddle of Mud. Basically, they're, they've managed to sort of generate a stable career touring middle America. Yeah. So it's new metal for rednecks, basically. They stuck around doing that, <laughs> and done very, and done very, very well over it. Yeah, uh, doing it yeah that's sure, true. Yeah. That's true. They, they've made a career out of it, and and I think 
you talked about Adam. You mentioned that really short peak that New Metal had, and then you had the the bands that we've we kind of mentioned a little bit that um, that obviously were were picked up by labels off the back of that sort of peak of success. So POD, Static X. I'm going to put Disturbed in that as well. I know they've had a career, but I'm going to put them in there as well. Um, bands like Kitty, um, Spine Shank, are another one. Yeah. This when when I look back at that, and I just I I just I see the odd video on TV or on YouTube or, or whatever it may be, and I just think I just I just wonder why it was even popular in the first place. I understand with with Corn and Deftones. I you know I'm a I'm a fan of Deftones. I think Gore the last album was was a brilliant piece of work, but it just it just seems ridiculous when you look back at it now. Some of it just seems just way too silly. Yeah. I mean, he'll, have his, he'll have his opinion on Kitty, Padre. <laughs> um, you mentioned Mudvayne. I quite like the first Mudvayne album. They were they were amusing. <laughs> um, <laughs> there was a bit of a there was moments with Mudvayne. There was a bit of a sort of techy death metal kind of feel to some of their stuff as well. It was. I will. I will always bat for. I know Fred Durst is really, really, really aggravating, but John O. Sam Rivers. Uh, amazing musicians that rhythm section and Mudvayne just took it one step first, you know for someone who's pretty much favorite band is Tool yeah you, you listen and you look at like that rhythm section of Mudvayne and the guitars phenomenal as so the bass player in particular Ryan is mental absolutely crazy to watch yeah. as well yeah but then the the the, the thing was with with Mudvayne was the the, the and the face paint and everything like that. It just, it, I completely understand why it put people off and, and they were given a uh, short shrift by many. So, um, uh, but yeah, I, and I go back to your point, it did get very, I like, I, I think as well, what, what Padre was saying about the authenticity as well, there was, I would say, if you go to a rock club and stuff like that and they have that sort of hour of new metal, it's wicked for someone like me because I just love, there's so many great songs that I really, you know, the, the, the hooks and things like that albums mind yeah even as someone who really liked you about i just remembered like picking up albums and being like this after you, it's it's it, it i get then the the sort of the pop um kind of lack of authenticity kind of thing going on because it's just like it's usually you got a you know your one hit or your set or your two hits or something on an album and the rest of it's really kind of throw away it's you're really really struggling sometimes for to find some just some good like new metal arms from start to finish you know and that's when you yeah. come back to your big guns again so, yeah, that's that's true. Actually, it's um even I suppose even Mudvayne that first Mudvayne album, like I said, I quite like it, but it was a, a few songs, and it did kind of kind of sort of tail off mm. from there. Um, yeah, I, I'll go back to Disturbed. I, I went to the first Disturbed show in the UK, which is yeah, the we, we went. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Both I went. Yeah, I think the way they were sort of being built up at the time was they, you know, Mad Davy Draymond and the the electric chair and the straight jacket and all this kind of stuff. And I think we were expecting something quite theatrical and over the top. And, and he kind of shuffles on in this makeshift straight jacket and someone comes on and undoes it. And then he does his thing and wobbling his silly fucking face piercings. And uh, they were, they were just ridiculous, <laughs> utterly ridiculous. And I know they've probably grown up a bit and they've got a kind of different fan base, but they were just daft. They were daft. They just made me think of like an old Alsatian with one ear pointing up and one ear flopping down. <laughs> and it was just, you know, 
Yeah, and like they, they, the bands like Disturbed, right? Felt like they were like they somehow they were edgy and dangerous, and yeah. that's, yeah. that's exactly it. Yeah, that's it. It's it's danger, but it, it wasn't. It it just wasn't. It was silly. It was laughable. I mean, you know, just I remember watching uh one of those um I think it was like VH1 um uh, heavy the story of metal it was like a four part documentary and they they get to like the fourth part and I think they were interviewing. Obviously, it's on new metal and stuff, and there's a lot of people on there just going like, you know, Geezer Butler's like, what the fuck was that shit about? Um, and but then they interview the guy from Papa Roach, and he's like talking about the partying backstage, and he's like, you know, there were some nights when like we would drink half a bottle of vodka each, and you're just like, was it a, a, an an empty vodka bottle and four broken hearts or something like that? Yeah, yeah, and, and you just like so you you drank half a bottle of vodka. Have you not seen Decline and Fall Western Civilization where the guy from Wasp necks an entire bottle of Smirnoff in one go? Like several. It's just like you're not edgy, you're not edgy, you're not dangerous, you're not tough, you're not macho. I'm not saying you have to be these things, but don't try and convince us that you are. You know, yeah. and also. I'm sorry, Papa Roach. That riff is they, they ripped off Hallow Be Thy Name. Yeah. And without the hammer ons and pull offs, get oh out. Oh my God. <laughs> that was, uh, we, we've just seen a picture of, uh, of, of Adam and his new best friend, Kobe Dick or Jack of the Yeah, Shadow. Kobe Whatever Dick. Whatever his name yeah. is, he's yeah. Johnny Vodka. I don't know. Well, my, la- my last assignment uh, for Hammer before COVID, COVID hit was, was out in, in uh, Berlin. Um, uh, and he was interviewing three bands. I'm not really a big fan of, but they were all very, very nice. And that was that was Jacoby wanted a picture at the end. So uh, here we are. Yeah, he, he wanted a picture. He wanted a picture of you. He's probably going around <laughs> looking why, Matt. It's <laughs> 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 <He was very laughs> just like uh, <laughs> you're bigger than he is. He was very, very nice, and they put on a very good show. But I, yeah, they, I remember because um, I, I I probably heard Last Resort before I heard How to Be Thy Name. And obviously, I prefer the latter much more now. But I was just thinking, yeah, definitely remember the time like this. It sounds a bit like Papa Roach. <laughs> <laughs> I went to their first UK show as well, Papa Roach. Did um, they do a d- double one? I think they they did the night the night after. It was well, me and Kieran went to see them at the LA Two. Me and Wolfman um, with uh, the Infidels as support, oh, and I just I- remember thinking. Wow, there's a lot of backpacks in this room. Yeah, I I went. I think in I think the following January. I think I, they them head planet Earth and someone else were doing an enemy tour. I think yeah. I think well, that was the story. That was yeah. I remember. I remember going to um, Cardiff. It was 2001, 2002, and it was um, Slipknot were playing. Uh, they were the headline act, and yeah. it was support acts were. Sick of it all and in flames, and it was in flames. Yeah. Uh, one of the first one of the first time I saw in flames live, and they, they were they were the opening act. And no, sick of it all, then in flames and slip well, and, and, um, and the point, yeah. Well, yeah, uh, part, part of the international yeah, arena. Yeah. So yeah. That was it was American head charge, then in flames, then it was one minute silence, and then it was slip knots. So that was on the Iowa tour. One minute silence, sorry, yeah, um, yeah, um, I remember quite liking one minute silence, um, yeah, and I just remember, um seeing like um, a, a dad leading about a group of six or seven, 12 or 13 year olds. And it was obviously, it was like, it's like gone there for that someone's birthday. And he's like leading this line of kids around like 
Gregory, Gregory, tell Ollie to keep up with you, Gregory. And you're just like, <laughs> oh, for God's sake. You know, and you're just like, you know, what the fuck? Are, you know, where am I? You know, you, you don't expect to see that at Metal Geek. So I think that's it. It's new metal seem to seem to be more of a kind of domain of the middle class. It wasn't really from this. And I'm not saying new Slipknot were a new metal band, but it's just like that new metal opened the door for like that kind of stuff, I think. Well, let's 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 round off new metal with Slipknot then, because you're right, they did get sort of pigeonholed into new metal. They weren't a new metal band, but it, it just seemed right at the time for the music press and, and whatever. So, and I don't think we could have seen how big they've they've become from that point. But and you went to the first Slipknot show at the Astoria, didn't you? The first UK show. Yep. What what was what was the impact like? What because obviously we'd seen them on videos and things like that, but you saw them in the flesh for the first time. Was, was that as impactful as you expected it to be? Uh, yeah, but I think a lot of that was because. Um... Uh, they they were supported by Kill to This, I believe. Yeah, uh, British band. Um, but before them and in between, they pretty much played uh, Hatebreed's "Satisfaction Is the Death of Desire" on yeah. constant repeat. So by the time Slipknot came on, everyone wanted to kill each other. Yeah, I can see. The, um, I can see and the then you got forty-five minutes, and it was forty-five minutes of just mayhem. Um, and me and me and Kieran. We were sitting on the balcony. I've never been on the balcony before, but we wanted to see what it was like from up top. And we thought we 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 can't be bothered to be in the pit for this. We, we, we just um, we want to we want to see the carnage from up top. And it was it was quite something. Um, and of course, when we see Sid the DJ, he's disappeared, and then he's he's over on the sort of side balcony. All, all of a sudden, he's like, "Oh my god, he's actually going to jump into the crowd from from that top level." Um, and he did. Um, it was quite something. That's when you sort of realise, yeah, this this band are gonna, you know, if they if they can keep up the momentum, they could be huge. Um, yeah, it was quite it was quite a spectacle, and I was quite quite honoured to be there. Really, I don't think I don't think anybody could have seen um, Slipknot get into the point where they can they can legitimately fill a stadium now. Yeah, I think I mean, it, the, stadium, the show and the production obviously helps that. But I was shocked if they managed to fit fit everything in the Astoria for Christ's sakes. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's it's crazy to think what what they become. I mean, they're not a new metal band. We know that when you think of what new metal is, they if if you stripped Slipknot down and took all the theatrics and the ridiculous noise, most of it stems from death metal. Really, it's yeah, all the blast beats and, and all that. Yeah, but me, me and you used you we used to joke that it was <laughs> death metal for kids. Death metal for kids. Yeah, that was it. That's yeah. that's what we used to refer to them as. Go on. Yeah, uh, well, that first album was very. It was it was all over the place in terms of influences. It was a lot more new metal in terms of style and funk and bass and, and Ross, Rob, and Ross Robinson only... produced it as well, didn't he? So yeah, it had exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 from the second album where they said no, we're gonna we're gonna ramp up the the death metal riffs and where, where they just went proper almost gore grind. I gotta be honest with with Slipknot. They're one of those bands that I I remember when they first came out and you and Kieran went to see them. I was like, this this is just it's just shit. It's gimmick idiots. <laughs> Nine, it's nine lunatics in masks and fucking boiler suits. This won't last. But, you know, over the years and seeing them live several times and seeing them get bigger and bigger, I haven't seen them live for a fair few years now, but I've, I've really developed a, a real strong appreciation for what Slipknot do, you know, and 
I've got a lot of time for Corey Taylor as a front man. I think he's one of the best out there these days. And the, 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 the performance and the theatrics that they put on are up there with the best of all time, I think. Well, this is it. In retrospect, it's, it's, it's odd, but I suppose maybe at the time it, it didn't fit very well into what was going on either in new metal, but also the good metal um, that, that we liked. Well, you know, the... the <laughs> There was new metal, metal and there was good metal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the, the non-new metal, the, the, the old school, yeah. heavy, deaf, whatever, anything that's derived from that. Um, but they still were very separate because of the theatrics and, and the madness and whatnot. But they probably had far more in common with old school metal than a yeah. lot of the new metal stuff going on at the time. They stood out a mile. And it's it's interesting to think that, oh, you know, they, they're not going to last or they're just a gimmick. And it's like, well... Are they any more gimmicky than a lot of the old school heavy metal bands? Were they more gimmicky than Alice Cooper or Kiss? Yeah. No, um, no, they weren't. It's, it's almost like it's just the same kind of thing, and it's just the current generation's version of those bands. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And, and Ramstein are another one you can put in the same kind of. I know musically they're very different, but from a theatrics point of view, it's it's the same kind of thing. I think these days we we have to pay so much for concert tickets now. We want value for money, so we want a show. If you're going to pay a hundred quid to see a band, you want to be entertained. Yeah, and these I, yeah, I want to see like I want to see the front man decapitate himself <laughs> and then fry his head, saute his head in a pan with some garlic and fresh herbs. I could yeah, see Ramstein doing that. That's that's the kind of thing I'm looking for. There was actually on on Sam Dunn's kind of the metal series he did uh, that when they got to the shock metal episodes so he had you know Slipknot's Marilyn Manson's Ramstein's they were like what could be done next that, that yeah. actually would be shocking and I think there's a singer from Ramstein did say someone's going to have to kill themselves on stage not that I would ever want well to I, I think but you know that that's kind of how to take it yeah in, in terms of new metal I think what would shock me is if you went to a show and saw them play their instruments properly oh for God's sake. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, when it comes to the shock stuff, we've kind of already done that with Gigi Allen in the early nineties. Yeah, 90s. yeah but he was just a lunatic. Yeah, so it's <laughs> be, yeah, beyond the realms of lunacy. No, <laughs> awful human being. Just yeah, awful. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Disgusting, vile person. <clears throat> um, right, we. <laughs> Right, we've 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 done both angles of new metal. Then we've. Can I just? I just. I'm sorry. I found a. Body still going. I've, I've, <laughs> okay, so this is uh, um, twenty years of uh, the the rise and fall and revival of new metal. It's in the Guardian. Um, it's just like the Guardian. Of, yeah, yeah. Lots of quotes from different people involved in new metal. Um, Des Fafara, frontman of Corn Chamber, and Des Falafel. Yeah, there's f- Falafel, whatever his fucking name is. Um, and he's like going on, oh, I remember seeing Marilyn Manson at the Whiskey A Go-Go in front of 100 people back in the day, but when you're inside and caught up in it, you don't realise, blah, blah, blah. Looking back, we were obviously forerunners in a scene that was helping to save Los Angeles. Hair bands had basically killed the scene. I, I don't think how... Hair bands had been gone, gone then. I mean, grunge had basically killed them. Uh, we were watching Corn bus people up from Huntington Beach to their shows at the Whiskey and the Roxy. Cold Chamber was selling up the Whiskey and the Roxy at that time. System of a Down was just starting to come up. Um, I'm the one that discovered Static X and I got them a record deal. So not only has he polluted our ears with his piss poor music, he's also inflicted Static X on us. Um, 
that band, seriously. Them and Disturbed. I think Cold Chamber and Disturbed are the ones, and to some extent Limp Biscuit just annoy me the most. Um, well, should we um let's let's quickly cover Woodstock then because it's um Woodstock certainly in America at the time that was that was the peak. You know, Woodstock '99 was was the peak, and those bands that were you know the headlining bands on that, your Limp Biscuits and Raising Against the Machine and bands like that was. You know the, the lineup was was huge, and it wasn't just metal and rock. Obviously, it had hip hop and soul and funk and, and all sorts, loads and loads of big names. But we, we've all seen the footage, we've all watched the documentaries, um, and the, the blame that that was aimed at, at new metal at the time, you know, especially Fred Durst. It was all Fred Durst's fault, which I think we all know that by clever editing, it just looked like all the trouble that was going on and the crowd was while Fred, well, was while Limp Bizkit were playing, which it wasn't. You know, a lot of that happened while the Chili Peppers were playing, um, who aren't exactly what you would call, you know, an aggressive act. Um, but it's, it, it, it put bad, it put new metal in a really bad light at the time, I think, and especially Fred Durst. I mean, I'm no, obviously, as we know, I'm no fan of Limp Bizkit, I'm no fan of Fred Durst, but he's never really spoken a great deal about Woodstock I think he, he's done the right thing by just kind of staying quiet about it and and not getting involved because it, it was so lazy to blame the likes of him for all that trouble John Schur came out of that Netflix documentary as an absolute scumbag some of the things he said you know he basically for want of a better way of putting it that women deserve to get sexually assaulted because they were taking their tops off yeah and yet we were listening to this man blaming Fred Durst for all the trouble. It was, I don't know, it was, it was such a, an awful, yeah, I, awful time. I mean, you, could, look, you can talk about mob mentality. We've seen it, you know, like you said, you know, before. I, I've only watched the first 10 or 15 minutes of that Netflix documentary. I haven't watched, you know, I only started watching it tonight. And that, that right at the beginning, there's these two guys talking. And it goes, oh, you know, this was our first ever festival. And we were really looking forward to it and stuff like that. And I think that is a point. A lot of these people that went, that would have been their first ever festival. And they're, what they're doing is their their expectations of um or of what they're going to do and what they're going to see and how they're going to behave are based a lot on cliche. One of the, some of the cliches were going back to the first Woodstock. So, firstly, they're going to this festival. It's called Woodstock. It's got nothing to do with the original Woodstock at all in any way shape or form not in spirit not in ethos not in music not in the kind of demographics that you're seeing present at the festival um and so they they and secondly they by going they they've already got this idea in their heads that they're going to be to to the witness of some kind of historic event so therefore they have to behave a certain way and uh, um this mistaken idea that Woodstock was counterculture and counterculture necessarily means rebellion and destruction or revolution right yeah. so therefore that's why you're going to get people who are susceptible to the idea of trashing things burning things and acting in a way that is um uh almost iconoclastic yeah um and then thirdly you just it's just basically I don't think you would have had the same level of entitlement at the original Woodstock. I think you've got a lot of white middle class frat boys, you know, together. And then you you throw in the conditions, the heat, the the lack of water, the fact that they took food off people going in. Like, who runs the festival? Oh, you can't take that food in. They took That's water ridiculous. off people as well. Yeah, and water. Yeah, well. yeah, yeah. 
And then, then you've got the bands. And I'm, I don't think people like Fred Durst are completely devoid of, of, of culpability because obviously they've marked by that point, they were marketing themselves as some form of counterculture, rebellious. And I'm sorry, Fred, Fred Durst is like the epitome of establishment, you know? Um, so I, I just think it was a, you know, a combination of all of those things that led to what happened at Woodstock in 1999. I mean, what the original Woodstock punctuated the end of the sixties and it was the end of a movement, you know, after the, after the sixties, Hendrix died, you know, Viet, the Vietnam war was still going. Nixon got in, you know, Bobby Kennedy had been killed. Martin Luther King had been killed. It was the end of the hippie movement. What was 99 the end of or the beginning of or the middle of? Nothing. There was no social movement there. There was no ethos. It was just a cash grab. It was using the name to brand to make money. And that's exactly what they say at the beginning of that documentary. The Woodstock in 1994 didn't make enough money. We didn't. We, we, we lost money. We needed to make more money. So we moved it to an Air Force base. You cannot market a festival on peace and fucking love. And then in the background, you've got a B-52 Stratoporture. For God's sake, that was that's the shit they used in the Vietnam War to, to, to drop bombs on Hanoi, Operation Linebacker 1 and 2, 1968, 1969. You know, they dropped more bombs on the north of Vietnam than they did in the entire World War II. Okay? Like, it's just it, it's completely fake. And therefore, you're going to attract, I'm sorry to say this, fake music fans who don't know how to behave and have only got cliche and fucking cliche to work off, you know? That's my take on it. No, it's it's interesting because you didn't have this happening on the Ozfest tour or the Family Values tour. No, this no, you didn't. Because did, you had actual metal fans or people who were versed in festival culture. You don't have it. I mean, you're always going to get a couple of dickheads at a festival. You know, we've seen people at Reading Festival. Oh, last night, yeah, let's just tip a portaloo over. You know, yeah. But oh, let's set fire to a uh, uh, some crap or something, but. Gang rape, yeah, it, it, it's 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 appalling, utterly, utterly appalling. And and you make a good point, and I didn't really think about that. That, like you said, Family Valley's Ozfest all happened at the same time. None of that, no. yeah. And and as someone, I think the security guard, the head of security in uh, actually Padre, even though you've watched the first few minutes, you basically summed up the entire thing perfectly. You know about about why all the many myriad reasons why Whistle Ninety Nine was just appalling and rubbish. And, and and nonsense and completely devoid of anything to do with the original. But and it, the head of security in it does say, like, you know, to go on to the Limp Bizkit thing again, he was just like, you know, they just did what they did, you know? And they, they, it's like it's like being angry at a bear for mauling someone. That's what bears do. You know, that's just, you know, it's... It, and it, I've seen a Bizkit many times. Like, they played thousands of shows over the years, stuff like that. This is the only time that something like this happened. So why was it that the yeah. conditions were there for this kind of thing to happen? You know, it's just like to just if I have 20 years of just blaming the band for they they did all this. It was like they never happened in any of their other shows. So why was it specifically this one that happened? So precisely. And, and, it, and it's a shame, isn't it? Because we, we've discussed this before. But when you look at the lineup, when you when you've got the potential of Rage Against the Machine supporting Metallica. Yeah. That's. You know, and who was who was the other band on before Limp? Was it Limp Biscuit were before Rage? Rage Metallica, yeah, yeah. And then on the next day, on the other stage, you had Megadeth and a few other bands, and you know the Cranberries and a lot of other stuff going on. That is a damn good 
lineup, and that's a very eclectic lineup, and it's something that you know people should have been leaving going. That was one of the best collective lineups that we've seen in the last twenty or thirty years. They, they put together, funny. they put together a lineup that was, it was, it was very well put together. To be fair, because you had all the bands at the time that were big, and all the Zeitgeist bands, and then you had your Metallicas and Rage Against the Machine and Chili Peppers, but you also had. You had some absolute legends playing that as well. You know, not necessarily metal, but, you know, your George Clintons and people like that. It was James Brown, you know, the whole the whole debacle about him going on stage, not wanting to go on stage until he got paid kind of thing. But it's it should have been a great event. And all we remember it for is everything that was terrible about it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a real shame. I mean, I know... You can, I, t- I suppose, you can look back at, at Donington '88, with mm-hmm. the, um, you know, with what happened when Guns N' Roses were playing, an awful, awful disaster. But it's an that isolated was an accident. Incident. Yeah, it's an accident, an isolated incident, and you know, large outdoor events and organisers learned from that event going forward and how to plan events. So it was, it was kind of dealt with, and you moved on. But but Woodstock was just something that the organisers would never have seen it happening. Despite the fact that it was all about making money, they would never have seen this happening. No one could have predicted how bad it got. And I don't think we even know the full story. No. You know, the no. documentaries will never tell the full story of Woodstock. The only people that really know are the people that were involved. Mind you, what must it be like, though, if, you, if you're now... So let's say you, what, you were... Okay, well, you'd be our age. If you were, like, 18, yeah. 19, yeah. 20 at that yeah, point, you'd be yeah. our age now, yeah. yeah. And, you know, you had kids and you saw that Netflix documentary and you saw yourself on it doing that stuff yeah well they do interview like, a couple of people don't they and uh two of them are kind of like a bit beavis in butthead like and yeah but then weirdly you get this this uh lady who was it was probably like a 14 year old girl oh, was there. that was terrifying yeah but She's she even then just said like you know i was like yeah if, if it was me and i was that age I'd, I'd i'd do it again which was kind of really like an eye-opener you know but uh I've yeah. got a 13 year old daughter who's 14 in, in about six weeks. Yeah. And I watched that documentary. And, and when she said that she was there on her own, at yeah. 14 years old, I just think, just, I, I can't even comprehend how that could be considered okay. Yeah. But there you go. It happened. Thankfully, they've never tried to do it again. Because um, it would be. Woodstock or New Metal? <laughs> well, new Metal, they have. <laughs> At least two occasions, two, two kind of, you know. Things, but yeah, no, no Woodstock. No, yeah, no, no, no Woodstock. It was, um, yeah, we, we don't need to go back to that. All right, so just quickly then, before we before we we finish off, I want to just look at quickly, just look at the year two thousand. I know this is late nineties, but the year two thousand when things started to sort of shift a little bit. So Maiden made their return. We mentioned it last week. Bruce is back in Maiden in ninety eight. They didn't play the UK until two thousand when they released Brave New World. So that came out. In Flames released Clay Man, which was their peak. Um, Lamb of God released New American Gospel in 2000. Um, Children of Bottom released Follow the Reaper. Shadows Fall, you had bands like Cave In. You know, there was starting to be a, a sort of a change in the climate. You know, this is when New Metal was starting to sort of dwindle away a little bit and things were starting to get a little bit more metal. Yeah. Yeah, I was say, so it, it didn't last very long, did it? No, it was like what Padre was saying earlier about like with the, um, the, you know, the band sort of like laying in wait for I can't remember if it was um for kind of yeah 
in flames yeah yeah in flames and stuff like that 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 was that was it and and not just then but all the bands like you kill switches and shadows fall and um that whole movement they basically just ripped them off you know and 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 took and took it in that direction so uh yeah i i really latched on to to metal core as was the term yeah, bands, yeah. Slam of God, shadows fall you know it was um it was like all of a sudden these bands came out and it was kill switch were the first ones it was like wow this is suddenly it's got a different guitar sound it's it's a bit more metal yeah and it's i don't know it was heavier it was harder it was it was more aggressive it felt more authentic and yeah. you know and from then there was a lot of bands that i got into then i still love now um yeah. unearth shadows fall bleeding through all these bands that some some great great bands that, that did that sound really really well there was again same as new metal there was some turgid shite as well but for the majority of it, it was good and it was it was like the ideal antithesis to what new metal stood for yes so it was you know it was it was it was exciting it was a bit more the bands were exciting live as well it, you know we had the, the twin guitar stuff was back and i know it just felt it felt like metal was back and it, where it should be it was at that point getting into those bands i kind of then realized oh this is why metal people metal fans hated new metal <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> it kind of like flicked it got that switch in my head there was a there was a tour. It was uh, Kill Switch, Shadows Fall, Chimera, yeah. and God forbid. God forbid. Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. We we went to we we saw we saw them at the Astoria. Wicked. On the Sunday night, and then they did a secret show at the Camden Barfly on the mon- Monday night. That was nuts. Yeah. It was absolutely nuts. In fact, that was the first time I stage dived as well Brilliant. after many years. Yeah, it, it was crazy. I mean, what Barfly was what 250 people at the most wasn't it if that if that if that yeah and at that at that time especially we saw them the night before it was yeah that was that was a, a crazy crazy show you know I, I loved it when it all came along whatever you want to call it new wave of american heavy metal all of that kind of stuff i absolutely loved it you know and you know talking to lamb of god um was at bloodstock a few weeks ago lamb of god closed a sunday night and the, the machine that that band have become, especially live, is so good to see. They're, they're like a modern-day Pantera for me. I said it last week. Definitely, definitely. You know, so it's, um, it's, it's good to see those bands that have come out of that scene and just gone from strength to strength, really. And, and that scene went away as well. And it, we, yeah. that's kind of had a bit of, like, Shadows Fall did a reunion. Um, yeah. uh, Bleeding Through have kind of done a reunion. And, uh, Killswitch have always kind of stayed as, but... Um, Even the likes of Overcast. Uh, yeah, uh, it's uh, only, yeah. Big, big, big things, yeah. The, the real sort of early roots of it. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, it's... Right, I tell you what, let's... Um... Can I just mention something? Because I no. didn't mention this. Oh. Yeah, go on. <laughs> didn't mention this the last couple of times. Just it didn't occur to me, but just saw something earlier today and I thought maybe it might be worth mentioning it now there's a key aspect of 90s metal uh that was a constant for a while um was actually a very big influence on what happened throughout the decade and without it wouldn't be some of those bands wouldn't be as big as they they were this sounds like it's going to be a bit of a um sweeping statement a bit of a revelation no 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 well it's a good point but it was mentioned earlier just now actually beavis and butthead (laughs) <laughs> because yes, of course these there's a point yeah. made but white zombie they released last sex or sisto in 92 and it you know didn't do anything 
then uh, a track was featured on Beavis and Butthead a year later, yeah. and sales rocketed. Yeah, and this was, and again, you had Morbid Angel being played on it. You had yeah. all sorts, and a lot of this was it was exposure, much better exposure than just the band's plans playing their videos late at night or whatever. Um, and uh, yeah, a lot of these bands, a lot of these different kinds of alternative bands or whatever. They, they did well from the 90s because of Beavers and Butthead. And that was a big deal throughout the whole decade. And that stopped in 96. So I was sort of wondering what might have happened in the late 90s if Beavers and Butthead had still been going. Would new metal have happened in the way it had? It would have just been Beavers and Butthead with eyeliner. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, um, yeah, that's, that's a fair point. First time, funny enough, the T-shirt I'm wearing, the first time I heard Sacred Rite was the American way and that was played on Beavers and Butthead. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't have the uh, the strength of the will to go into it now, but <laughs> at some point we're gonna, you know, talking about the '90s and the early noughties with music, you have to have a look at the the kind of can of worms which is postmodernism because it's in there. Um, I need to do some reading about this. I've I've already done some, but it's uh, yeah, definitely. It's it, it, there's a there's a there's a theme that 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 kind of why it snakes its way through the nineties in, in not just in new metal in a lot of other things as well that are, are distinctly have a postmodern tinge to them so that's something that we can discuss at a later episode. Um, I was also thinking as well that since you know we've got a guest on Adam, um, I don't know if Adam's aware that as as an ordained holy man I can actually offer absolution. So are there any metal sins that you would like to confess that I can absolve you of? I think, how many have I done today? <laughs> no, 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 that, that, no that, that was just talking. And now this is now right. the football. This is, imagine, imagine that you've, you're now in the booth with Padre right. confessing. Okay. Off the top of my head. So I think, because I'm, I'm one of these people, as you kind of do it, like, I, I, as well as I love metal, I love loads of extreme metal and stuff like that. I'm a big fan of like, like 80s power ballads and 90s pop music and stuff like that. I don't really, I don't really do guilty pleasures. As yes. Such. I don't, and, and I hope that's kind of come through today. I'm just like, well, there's a reason why you like certain things because they come into your life at certain times. <laughs> the difficult thing I have is one of my favorite all time bands. And I hate throwing out the babies with the bathwater. And it was the first person I ever interviewed for anything in a music capacity was John Schaefer of Iced Earth. <laughs> 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 who, <laughs> following the news the last few years, not gone too well. So, uh, and I, uh, but um, while, while other things, you know, I will never listen to certain bands again because of things that have happened with them. I can still, I still enjoy because I can. I, it's because it's because I, I don't want to mention any any names of any other musicians and stuff like that. But you, the, the typical ones that tend to get cancelled, right? Yeah, because because it even though what he did was. Really, bad because it didn't involve like any sort of thing about against kids or something like that you know right um because it was just a really stupid silly thing he did which at the time i did actually quite find quite fun. i'm like i was watching the whole thing and going i'm having a great night and then i saw that i went oh what so um i i can still enjoy listening to a bit of ice earth uh i still think uh that that spin article i told you earlier about the anthrax being on the top 12 worst sounds ever they put the glorious burden by Ice Earth as number one purely because of the politics thing. So I guess I've put myself out there now. John Schaefer's an idiot. 
I still like Iced Earth. Can you please cleanse me of that sin, Padre? Yes, I can, my son. I say, so go outside, say three Hail Marys, and then go and listen to Justice for All. Uh, <laughs> I can do that very well. Thank you very much. I, I, just, I, I just, just like to say, I, I, I love Iced Earth. I've loved Iced Earth for donkey's years, and I still listen to them now as well. So <laughs> Shut I, up, you. You're beyond redemption. <laughs> I mean, this is true, but that's not the point. It's not the point. Adam, I, I, I will say that other band you're obviously thinking of, obviously I was a huge fan of that band for many, many years, yeah. or many times I've made very good friends for that band who I still yeah. love dearly. I'll never listen to them to again. I can't. Yeah. Um, I keep up with their, um, the new project though. So yeah. Very good. That's, You're going to do well, Max Lee. Um, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's quite weird how some things you can kind of, you can separate. Sometimes you can separate the art from the artist. You're talking about Pantera, for example, who the band that got me into metal and I, I just hate Phil Anselmo. He's hot, he's, but I still I still really enjoy Pantera. Yeah. But then there are other things I just, that's, you know, I've got to draw a line and, uh, and just cut my losses on that. But uh, mm. I'm, glad, I'm glad that other people still find that, you know, Ice Earth, for example, silly as they are, daft as their, friend, oh, their main guitarist is, you know. But I've, you know, I've been cleansed. I'll just, if you, yeah, once this is over, I'll definitely, uh, I'll definitely crack out my Injustice for All vinyl, go outside, get a bit of fresh air. As long as, you, as long as you feel cleansed. And definitely, that's yeah. All that matters. And, and, you know, you've massaged his ego a little bit. Um, <laughs> all right. So finish it off then. I put everybody on the spot the last couple of episodes to pick a couple of their favourite albums from the early 90s, the mid 90s. So now we're going to do the late 90s. So what are we throwing in the mix? And then we'll, we'll put together an overall top 10 and I'll chuck out on social media and on playlists and stuff of our definitive top 10 I only use that word because it pisses Padre off. Um, <laughs> definitive top 10 90s metal albums. Um, and you go first. What are you throwing in the mix from the late 90s? Um, yeah, um, I mean, this kind of proves really where I was at the time, but certainly Deftones Around the Fur and the first System of a Down album. You're on mute. We didn't even really um, mention System of a Down, which I think is, is a bit criminal because... You know, the, the first, well, the first two albums, at least, you know, of that era were, were brilliant. They were just, just mad. And they were doing something that no one else was doing. So, yeah, I'll just, I'll squeeze that in. Um, I think well, the, the fact is they're, they're brilliant, they're genuine. Yeah. They yeah. can't really they, they, be lumped into the sort of dodgy stuff, I don't think. I think. No, 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 definitely. They, they, yeah. Yeah. Adam, your choices? Now, uh, I kind of read that wrong. So I ended up having... I, the ones I picked tend to be really from the sort of early and, and mid nineties uh, of so things like that hadn't been covered, haven't been covered yet. So apologies for that, but things off the top of my head that might not be in the list. Um, uh, I would, I would say uh, calculating infinity by a Dillinger escape plan. Um, that had a big, big influence of people. Um, I'm not sure if um, sugar has been mentioned yet. Future breed machine was 95, but I think chaos fear was about 98, 99. Uh, I think that had a huge impact. Um, Colony in flames, a um, uh, uh, bit bit out out there, uh, outfield. Uh, I'm not going to say Ice Earth. Uh, I would go for. Um, uh, I would I would say uh, Nile amongst the catacombs of Nefron Car as well. I'd like to chuck in there. That's uh, and uh, another extreme album. Um, I know Mr. Rob Lang, uh, who was on a few weeks ago. We. He, He's not a huge black metal fan, but he basically just got bangs about Immortal all the time. But at the heart of Winter by Immortal, um, I'm a big fan of the uh, and much to the chagrin of others, uh, 
I've, I have put it down yet. Um, I still love Significant Other by Limp Bizkit. I think it's a brilliant album. Just just before it got a bit too silly for Chocolate Starfish. Padre? Um, Colony in Flames. Nine Equilibrium by Emperor. Nice. Um, what else? Opeth, Still Life. Um, can't really think of any others. This is a problem. I mean, like, I'm not... Like I wasn't listening to a lot of this stuff at that time. It's about a year or two. Like I mean, it was probably like night two thousand. That's when we started listening to In Flames and stuff like that. Um, well, like I was still really working my way through a lot. Of the still a lot of the grunge stuff and eighties metal in that. Well, that was like you know ninety nine was my first year at uni. 97, 98 was really just like stuff like Suicide Tendencies, Pantera, but all that kind of stuff. Sat really got into like going through all the Sabbath stuff because it's you know went to Ausfest 98. Um things like that. Um and then trying to like just dodge new metal basically. <laughs> um <clears throat> so but like, you know, I mean I will say like I think my one of my guilty pleasures for new metal is because I'm not completely, you know, un, un, opposed to it. I actually, you'd probably be surprised. I don't mind "Break Stuff" by Limp Bizkit. I don't think it's a bad song. Um, this it, this is starting to feel like some kind of therapy session now. Is, kind yeah. of dragging this out of you, you know. In the last couple of weeks, you you've kind of, you know, emerged. You've got this appreciation for corn now. And and all of a sudden we've got oh you know break stuff by Limp Bizkit I don't mind that song you... that's the only thing I will that... okay that. what about the, what about this I will go okay I will go and listen to Significant Other and I'll report back next week yeah okay okay Adam give me another two albums to listen to what from from the the, the new metal era from new metal stuff yeah right well I mean you probably. Uh... I think I think Anne's already mentioned uh, Arantha. I think my favourite Deftones album is mo- my most famous is White Pony, but I think they kind of jumped the got got on got on to different things by then. Um, so uh, maybe yeah, go for Arantha, go for Significant Other, and I just just as uh, you know, given you're a padre, I think I think a bit of bit of Satellite by Pod, uh, <laughs> the, the Christian new metal okay. for you. So you out. Satellite by POD, yeah? yeah. Around the fur. Yeah. And significant other. Yeah. Okay. See, this is um this is quite strange because I remember bringing up Deftones around the fur when we first met back in, in you know in this in this era in the tail end of the 90s. It's weird that we've sort of come full circle. <laughs> can, can I mention another one? Yeah, go on. The shape of punk to come. Refused. Oh, yeah. I refused. Yeah. Not 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 strictly metal, but definitely you know in that sort of that realm of uh... yeah. I think I mentioned previously that every all all the all the press said this is a great album, and then no one knew how to talk about them afterwards because no one knew how to, to well categorise the, the, the them. Album, or... the, the irony of the album title, you know, when yeah. you look back at it now, so what came after that band? It, it needs it needs to be in there, um, and the, the one I'm throwing in there from the late nineties is. Uh, Power Trip by Monster Power Mag. Trip. Yes. Oh yeah, good album. Um, I got into that band massively off the back of that album. Um, Bummer was on a free Kerrang CD. They were playing yeah. Reading in '98 at like midday, and they, they, that that band just blew me away at the time. And every time we saw them live, 
after that, in that kind of little period, and when they did God Says No as well, and they were an absolute live peak. They were so, so good at what they did. And that album is one of my top 10 of all time. So that that will go in this this top 10 completely. I, you know. I can remember in London, I don't, I don't know what the gig was, but some homeless chap came up from behind you and said, oh, Space Lloyd, motherfucker, got any change? Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Fucking hell, but oh, just just such a great band, and and one of the best one of the best frontmen as well back then. He was he was like Iggy Pop reborn, Dave Windorf in his prime. So yeah, yeah, I I absolutely adore that. Well, album. I remember we we were there when they burnt all their stuff on the on the second stage. Yeah, little Kings, yeah, set fire to everything, didn't they? It yeah, was, just to pour petrol over a Marshall stack and set fire to it. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting thing about Dave Windorf is he'd been kicking around for years, hadn't he? And he was in a yeah. band called Shrapnel, yeah, uh, a punk band called Shrapnel in the sort of like yeah late seventies, early eighties um, in New York. And he was good mates with Frank Miller, the guy who worked for Marvel. He spearheaded Daredevil's resurgence in the early eighties. Um, he worked on Batman. Um, he also created Sin City. So big, big name in comics. Um, but they were mates. And basically in the Spider-Man annual in 1980, uh, Frank Miller wrote and drew a story centred around uh, mind control. And he basically worked shrapnel into that story. So I got that somewhere with Dave Windorf um, in the Spider-Man cool. comic. That's so, very yeah. cool. That's, that's, kind of, that's, that's a claim to fame that not many people are ever going to have. No. You know, I, know, I know it's not metal, but wasn't this about the time that um, Tub Thumping by Chumbawamba came out? <laughs> that was 97. That's it, I'm off. I, I, I think, while, while we're still here, before, we, um, before we, we, we fuck off, I've got, there's quite a long list now of, of the top 10 90s metal albums. So I'm going to go through them and we have to get this down to 10 and I want you to tell me which ones to take out. So I'll start at the top, Black Album, In or Out. It, Keep in, yeah. Chaos AD. Keep keep. Rust in peace. Keep. I say keep personally. <laughs> I'm not Vulgar saying anything dis- because it's your podcast. <laughs> Vulgar display of power. You can't not take that. Yeah. Nah, you got to keep that in. Yeah. I prefer Far Beyond Driven, but uh, Pantera needs to be in there. So yeah. Yeah. Um, Nola. Good album. Would like to see it in. Could be a contender to come out. No, can't out. can't comment. So. Um, COC Deliverance. Uh, see if you're gonna if, if you're gonna put, I put Deliverance in over Nola. Right, I'll leave that for a minute. Um, Therapy Trouble Gum. Yes. Did you listen to that? Yeah. Way? Yeah, I did. I listened yeah. to it. Yeah. And um, <laughs> decent, heavier. Yeah, heavier. I mean, I I was very. I've always been familiar with Scream Age. I mean, yes. Um. But yeah, no, it was, it was decent. Good, good album. Um, oh, listen to it again. I, I had it on. I went. I kind of went through it. It was like in in the background, and it was a couple of couple of riffs. So I just kind of stopped and was like, "Oh yeah, that's all right." So it's on my like to actually put on properly and yeah, headphones when you're walking. Um, super unknown, obviously. We we're all happy with that. Deftones around the fur. Love it, but you can probably get get rid of it. And all I got, but all of my suggestions you're gonna actually just get rid of. I'm just, I just wanted to put some things in there. Yeah, I, I, I don't know because it, when we're when we're talking, when we're talking, we, if you break this down into the three different sections of the '90s that we've done, you know, 
around the fur was was I loved around the fur when it came out. Okay. It was you know that kind of change. I'm going to leave that in there for the minute okay. because I think it, I think it's a I think it's up there with the best. Um, System of Down's debut. You can chuck for that in this instance. All right. And get rid. I'm going to leave Calculating Infinity in there because it's not one of my favourite albums, but I remember seeing Dillinger in the early days. <laughs> and and they they were just like what the fuck is this and can I can I just ask a question how did we get through a podcast episode on the late nineties and not mention Godsmack because I nearly I, did earlier but he, he he mentioned it on Twitter the other day uh, so I'm not allowed to say it yeah you're not you're not it's it's on the list we did mention Butt Rock um, and I think that can just you can just just that file that yeah, yeah 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 exactly oh, well, um, Adam were you at Reading in two thousand two with Dillinger yeah yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was Sorry, my introduction to them. <laughs> so I was like, I'm going to go home and listen to this. <laughs> you can't, you can't kind of deny the impact that that band had. Not just talking about Gregory Chatter taking a shit on stage, but that album. Yeah, it's, it's going mean, to It's it going to be between that and Shape of Punk to come. I think. Um, In Flames Colony, I'm leaving in there. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Love it. All, we can get rid of that. I just wanted to. Uh, like I think there are much better black metal and death metal albums from the nineties that I mentioned, but I wasn't here to bat for them for the early and mids. So I think, yeah, I think there needs to be a representation of black metal in the nineties because there was there was so much of it that was good amongst all the stuff that was was rubbish as well. It's, in, it's interesting that you know Nine Equilibrium's the only one that's popped up. Whereas I mean, for me, I think Anthems and Nightside are yeah, preferable. Same. It's, it's, it's Nightside, I think. Is I'm going to put Nightside in there because. Um, so are, you, are you doing a black metal one soon? Anyway, we are. We're doing a Norway episode in, in two or three yeah. weeks. So you might, you might, you might want to just kind of like you know, if if you wanted to get rid of the Nightside for now, and you could just lump it together and then and be like, well, these are the the black metal albums from New War Norway. You could could check out. Well, we'll um we'll possibly take. I'll, I'll leave Significant Other in there as well for the minute. I'll take out. God bless you. <laughs> um. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to leave it in there because it's because it's important. I think you know the era we're talking about. It's it's a big deal. It is a big deal. It is whether we like it or not. It's a big fucking deal. Um. So I need you all to choose between calculating infinity or the shape of punk to come. Which one stays in? I'm staying out of that. Yeah, you stay out of this one. Well. And you picked Shape of Punk to come. I picked Calculate Infinity, so I think it comes down to your the the the, the choir master's vote. I've got to go Calculate Infinity. Um, I think Shape of Punk to come is probably my preferred album of the two. But I think, from a wider impact point of view, I think I think Dillinger just, I think Dillinger just take it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, but the the influence there is. Much much bigger. Well, we, anyway, you know what? No, I, I'm I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna leave it all in there. It's it's a top fourteen. We we can't take anything <laughs> else out. Of sorry, it's a top fourteen. Sorry, I'm I'm sorry to spoil everyone's you know need for normality, but we're going top fourteen, and we we won't have them in any order. They, they are they are our our pick of of the best albums of the nineties. Rock, metal, grunge, alternative metal, whatever you want to call it. Everything there is is sort of well represented. What about Spice World? Oh, 
I've heard that. I've heard that headline in Glastonbury next year. No, apparently so. <laughs> they can't even sing live. I'm not ending this podcast on fucking Spice Girls. So I'll tell you my story afterwards. Then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's do that afterwards. Um, I think one thing we can take from these last three episodes is, and I know we we all kind of these are the times of us, the five of us who have done these episodes, got into this music. Um, I don't think I didn't expect that it was going to be such a an embarrassment of riches. We go on about the eighties a lot, but in the nineties, there's just so much. The 80s was a core few bands, wasn't it? Your Metallica's, Megadeth's, Maidens, all of those. But in the 90s, there's just, it came from all different angles and all different types of metal. And as it evolved through the decade and went into new metal and the Swedish metal and, and bands like Monster Magnet and Dillinger Escape Plan, there's just so much to pick from. You know, we could, we probably could have done a list of 50 albums. And I think that's, that's what we've come to love about the 90s. I think it's, it's a smorgasbord. Of quality heavy metal and cold chamber and cold chamber. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, I will um, I'll add all of this, all of this to a playlist this week, and I'll uh, I'll chuck our top fourteen up on on social media for people to argue about. Um, have your opinions. I'm sure plenty of people will, you know, why why is super unknown in there, but never mind isn't. I don't know. This is always going to be arguments for for all of it, but. Because Nevermind was only a half decent album. Yeah, that's probably true. That's <laughs> probably true. But <laughs> but it, it you know it was the big one at the time. It's it's been a fun three weeks. I've enjoyed going through it because it's um it's it's real nostalgia for me. Um, I'm sure it is for the rest of you. It's um it's, it's it's been good to look back at it. And over the last couple of weeks, I've listened to a lot of these albums. You know, driving to and fro work and things, and just listen to things I haven't listened to for years and it makes you realise just how good this decade was. So, yeah, thanks everyone for listening. I hope everyone's enjoyed the three episodes as much as we've enjoyed recording them and I've said that before, um, but it's been a lot of fun. So thanks for listening and uh, we'll see you next week.